Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Ecclesiastes chapter, I'm just going to do three quick scriptures here for you to start. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. Amen? Who can say amen to that? Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, what doest thou? The word of a king. Many things throughout the history of scripture were done at the word of a king. Sometimes many awful things were done at the word of a king, but many powerful things were done at the word of the king. Where the word of the king is, there is power, and things get done. Things get done. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23 and 29. In Jeremiah 23 and 29, the Lord speaks to the prophet. He says, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Sometimes we encounter people that just seem to be as hard as a rock. There's just something that this life has done to them, has done to their hearts, has entreated them in some way badly, and it just seems like they're made out of stone. Nothing can break through. You're sharing your testimony. You're giving them something from life. You're trying to help them through the situation they are, but they just seem so hard and hardened. And I'm here to say this morning that God told Jeremiah that his word is like fire, and it's like a hammer that can break that rock into pieces. Finally, in Matthew 24 and 35, Jesus simply says this very plain and poignant comment. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's honor the word of a king this morning. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the guidance, the direction, the power, the privilege that it is to have your word in our hands. You've protected it through history. You've guided it through calamity. God, you've made sure that we've got access to it in every possible way. We love your word, Jesus. We worship you, Lord, for bringing it to us. God, we know that it's your will and your way in our lives. It's a guide for us to follow moving forward. And we praise you for that, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. You can be seated this morning. It is said by philosophers of old and people of past times that it's not war or violence or terrorism or things of that nature that will move and change things on planet Earth. That stuff has happened before. We're not, we're, we're not uh, susceptible as we were to going into wars all the time. In ancient times, everything, just every scuffle, every conflict led into some kind of a bloody battle, a skirmish of wars and destruction. All the way through the 20th century, the beginning of the 20th century, the wars that, that erupted across Europe and resulted in the deaths of tens of millions of people. But it's not the war of violence. It's not a war of terrorism that will challenge God's work moving forward. It is the exponential evolution of ideas that are going to cause challenges for God's work. It's the exponential evolution of ideology against what God is doing in this world, against what God has planned, against God's word that is going to be our great challenge moving forward. It's ideology, excuse me, that is at work dismantling our nation right now. Do you understand that? Do you understand that it's a war of ideas that you're seeing happening from Capitol Hill right now? It's ideology that's dismantling the fabric of our nation right before us. 
Now, some of you get real fired up about that and get real scared and get, well, this is the United States of America. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do without the United States of America? And I understand that. I have the same intrepidations, but not so much that I lose sight of who God is and what his word says. The United States is important. Yes, it's the last bastion of freedom in the world, true freedom. And it's under attack right now by ideology. It's ideology that's pushing millions to be lost. The famous author and and Scientologist L. Ron Hubbard made the statement once. He said, ideas and not battles mark the forward progress of mankind. That word progress unnerves me a little bit sometimes. Progressiveness is always looked at as some sort of a, a virtue. Progress. He's talking about the progress of mankind becoming more of their own gods. That was his whole mentality in Scientology. That type of progress that takes God out of the picture and makes us our own gods. That through our science and through our knowledge and our abilities, somehow we'll become our own gods and we'll save this world from its dying state in in, uh, environment control and all of these different things. Joseph Stalin, a man who himself is responsible for the death of tens of millions of his own citizens, said, ideas are more powerful than guns. We would not let our enemies have guns. Why should we let them have ideas? Finally, author Lawrence Overmeyer said it best, the future is won or lost in the war of ideas. Words. But you see, we've got to hope against what ideas are going to do to this world. It's going to be the ideas that lie in this word. How many of you brought your word with you this morning? How many of you still carry it? Amen. I like to hear the sound of rustling pages as I bring up the scriptures and encourage people to read. How many of you carry your Bible with you still? I'm going to encourage you going forward, hang on to this thing as long as you can because it may just be our lifetimes before it's illegal to have this in our hands. Oh, that's ridiculous, Pastor. That's silly. That's, oh, they've been talking about that forever. Throughout history, there's been many, many uh, magnanimous attempts to try to destroy this word and take it out of society. But are we just a little bit closer? Are we just about at that place where walking around with this thing in our hands is considered to be hate and considered to be divisive, considered to be racist? Come on now, you've heard it. You've heard it out there. That thing is divisive. It's worthy of, of, of throwing in the trash, lighting it on fire. Because ideology is saying that there's things in it that are wrong, that religion is tearing the world apart, that religion is at the source of all conflict. Come on, it's coming our way, right? The word is under attack. The ideas that are being forwarded now are assaulting the word in the nastiest ways possible. People are absorbing and adopting these inspired ideas and it's coming against the word. See, because if you say something enough through the media, and let's get a hold of who's got a hold of the media, right? If you say something enough through the media, you start teaching the kids on Sesame Street, and you start pumping it into them at the kindergarten level, and you start teaching them humanism, an ideology that turns away from God, and that we're our own gods, all of a sudden now this just starts to get adopted, and pretty soon the parents are on board. Pretty soon people who grew up in an environment that that was dedicated to the word of God suddenly start to say, oh yeah, you know something, I do agree with you on that. The Bible did cause all these wars to start. The Bible did cause all this death. No. It was men with ideology that used the Bible to cause death and destruction. 
I love Psalm chapter 119. You can turn there if you want to. I'll have some of them up on the screen. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the word of God. It's the thy word chapter. Thy word. Speaking of God, it's thy word. Thy word, Lord. Thy word. Thy word. The king's word. The longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. What's the focus in 176 verses? The longest chapter in the Bible. Is it salvation? Is it love? Is it what you do with your money? No, it's thy word. It's the word of God in the longest chapter. Listen to the devotion of the author. It could be David, by the way. There's, there's no author pen to this. It's, it's anonymous. Many people believe it was David, but they believe that it was con- constructed over a period of many years because some of the thoughts are incongruent. It just sort of goes on and talks about thy word this way and thy word that way. Maybe it's anonymous because God wanted it to apply to everybody. He didn't want one author credited with it. But listen to the devotion of the author as it talks about how it brings us back to him in 119 and 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Verse 89, it's never going away forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. It keeps us from the wrong path and bad choices. How many know that the sin and the things that happen to people in their lives that make them hard and hard as rocks and difficult to work with isn't based on what God didn't do for them, what fortune didn't come their way, but it's based on bad choices. You know there's no accountability in the world anymore. Do you know that it's being basically said right now that there's an epidemic amongst one of the minority races right now, and I don't want to get into a whole political thing here. I just read this the other day, and I'm just delivering the music. But I'll tell you what. It said in this article, it was talking about how the epidemic of obesity amongst a particular minority race is due to racism. White privilege has caused this to happen. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate here and talk about whether that exists or doesn't exist. That doesn't have anything to do with me. But what I'm saying to you now, there's no accountability. And so there's an entire group of people who believe that because of some uh, cultural or political issue or some sort of a terrible blight that's been put on them through the actions of people, that's why they're obese. No, they're obese because of bad choices. There are people that are suffering financially because of bad choices. There are marriages that are ending because of bad choices. But the world is being taught through what? Ideology. That it's not their fault. You know why the Bible is so offensive to people? Because it points out, it's sharp, and it's pointed, and it gets into your heart, and it gets into your soul, and your marrow, and it says, that's what you're doing wrong. That's why you made that mistake. That's why you're reaping it right now. And they don't want to hear that. A lot of Christians don't want to hear it either. I did a piece the other day, just just a few, I believe it was a Wednesday night, just a couple of weeks ago. Simply did an expose on biblical conflict resolution. I just read scriptures. Do you know there was somebody offended by that? Oh yeah, I took some heat. Psalm 119, 101 keeps us from the wrong path and bad choices. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word takes us down the right path in Psalm 105, 119, 105, by the way. Just so you know, this is kind of a funny thing, but the left cuff of my pant leg here is embroidered with that scripture. I won this suit. 
It was a sales contest. I got a free tailored suit, and the guy said, you want some stuff embroidered on it? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, we embroider stuff all over the place. So right underneath the cuff here, I told him, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. By the way, Acts 2.38 is embroidered right back here. <laughs> Serious. 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you're walking through darkness, if you're walking through trouble, if you're challenged at every turn, if something just seems like, if you're one of those people that says, doesn't matter what I do, it seems like it all goes wrong. I can't get anything right. Man, I got no luck. If I had any luck, it'd be all bad anyhow. Get into the word of God. Find your path, find your light because maybe you're taking the wrong steps. You're trying hard, you're doing what you can, you're doing the best that there might be a disconnect there. Get into the word of God and find out if that path is just one step to the right or one step to the left. Thy word is the light into my path and to my feet. Psalm 140 talks about how pure and wonderful and complete and holy the word is. 140 says, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. How many know the devil hates things that are pure and honest and true? Psalm 160, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. There's a word that the world doesn't like today. Oh, that thing is judgmental. You Christian people are judgmental. That's wrong. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know what's wrong with me. Sometimes I ask people, when are you done doing it your way? How many more times are you going to have, this is people I've taught, you know, uh, family members and people that come to me and want to counsel over and over and over and over again. Keep making the same mistakes over and again. I say, how many times do you want to face plant before you figure out that your decision isn't the right one, that there's a way to go, there's a path that you can follow? Well, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, good luck with the next time you decide to fall and make mistakes and live by your choices. Finally, Psalm 119, 172, my tongue shall speak of thy word for all thy commandments are righteousness. It's another thing the world just doesn't like. Doesn't like commandments. Nobody likes to be told what to do anymore. Nobody likes authority anymore. And that's what the Bible represents. That's what thy word represents. You know that the word of a king, as it said in Ecclesiastes 8 and 4, the word of a king is a word of authority. What the king said goes period, end of the story. You didn't fight that. You didn't come against it. The word of the king is final and the people don't like it. The world's coming. You know, the spirit of the world doesn't want to be told what to do. It doesn't want to have authority over it. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a revelation. Those of us that are wearing flesh at the moment struggle with that as well. well you're going to tell me what to do. I read the Bible. I know what I'm supposed to do. Pastor doesn't mean nothing. You're no king. Preacher doesn't mean anything. Come on. The Bible is criticized routinely in, in, in uh, public media now, in our school systems. It's coming out in every way. It's bleeding through the, the fabric of society. A disdain for faith and a disdain for the word of God. It's called divisive. People talk about atrocities that have been committed because of the word. They say that it's fake, that it's misleading. I just read something on Facebook the other day. I was just popping through. I keep connected with a couple family members and things, and I poke around there a little bit. And uh, this guy said, if you're having a real hard day, just remember this. There's actually people out there 
that believed that some guy built a boat and penguins from Antarctica walked all the way across the world to get into his boat to be saved. Ha, 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 ha. I just had to get in and read some of the comments. Oh, the self-righteousness and oh, the wisdom of the world that was pouring through these comments. I thought, wow, all these years I believed in God. Now I don't anymore. But that was the arrogance of that thought. My God's capable of anything. The Bible is not chaotic or messed up or misleading. It's the source of all science. It's the source of mathematics. It's the source of understanding. It talks about space and planets and stars. There's science in the Bible. There's there's creation in the Bible right alongside of it. But God created those things. He writes about those things in his word. It's not philosophical hodgepodge designed to confuse men and create conflict. You know why? Because it's got one author. It's one form of doctrine. It's one plan of salvation, one rule of faith, one set of ethics, one set of rules, one savior, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. There is no confusion. You know what that means? There's one king, and it's the word of one king. One king. Amen? Amen. Why am I telling you all this stuff? I'm going to get to that in just a second. The title of my message is Wielding the Word. Wielding the Word. The Word is about him, and it is him. We know that from John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 11. He said, blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. And for those attacking the Bible, listen to what uh, he says that John records in John 12 and 48. He says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not what? My words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. That's why when we look at that judgment day period and it says that he's got the book and the books open, he's going to stand at the judgment seat and he's going to have the book of life on one side and that book right there on the other side. All 66 of them are laid out there before you. And he says, I'm going to judge you by the book and the books. Why? Because this is the guide of life. This is the final word. This is the word of a king. And the word of the king carries the authority. Amen? Amen. That word will judge them. You ever hear run into somebody that says to you, hey, Christian, don't be judging me. You Christians are all judging. No, no. No, no, no. I'm not judging. There is one that judges. You know that Jesus hadn't judged anybody yet? You realize that? Jesus hadn't judged one person yet. But he will. And when it comes time, it's not going to be me. I'm not anybody to judge anyone. I'm just as much of a failure as anybody. I'm made out of flesh and failure and all kinds of terrible things. What was that old thing, puppy dog tails and something like that? Snails? Is that what it was? Thank you, Sister Brown. <laughs> Girls are made out of their good stuff though, right? Cotton candy and some of that, I don't know. <laughs> but in that last day, the word that I have spoken, he will judge us by. You know that the Bible encourages us to eat the word, devour it. What happens when you eat food? Well, a good portion of it becomes part of you, right? That's how you build muscle and bones and teeth and eyes and hair. Eat the word, the Bible says. Devour 
the word because it becomes part of you so that someday you can stand before God and say, yes, sir, you go right on ahead. I did the best I could, but you go right on ahead because I knew the word. I listened to the word of the king, the word of authority in my life. You know the scripture in 2 Timothy tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing, what? The word of truth. Approved of God by the word. So what is rightly dividing it? Well, we know. This is how you divide the word right here. See, now it's divided. There's part one and part two. Well, that means read it. Study it. Get into it. Carry it to your church on Sunday morning. Don't rely on this thing. You can't make notes in the margins on this. At least not that I'm aware of. Next week there'll be one that can do that and then I'll look like a fool. (laughs) Verizon will come out with something. Whatever, iPhone, tablet or something. Sitting with the word in front of you. Fold it open before you. You can highlight things. You can make notes because God gives you revelation when you're sitting, you're listening to a goofy talk like I'm giving you right now and all of a sudden you're reading a little bit, a couple pieces past there. Pastor's getting a little boring but I'm gonna go ahead and read the rest of the passage and all of a sudden, well, that made sense to me and you write something in there and pretty soon, guess what? That's where you turn the page to the next time you're sitting down with somebody and say, hey, I wanna tell you something God gave me in the word of God right here and then you got a highlight and you got a, you got a thing sticking out of it and you got some scribbles in the, in the margins. Eat the word. Devour the word. Make it who you are. Carry it with you. Have one in your car, one in your house, one in your desk at work. Become about this thing. Why? Because someday you're going to stand before God and he's going to divide it in front of you and he's going to judge us based on that. Amen? I said this, the, the, the title of my message is Wield the Word. And I want to show you about that. I want to encourage you today. It's good to know the word. We've got to eat the word, but... Today, I want to talk to you about wielding the word. James chapter 1 and 22 says, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You can sit up here and listen to me all day long. You can go to conferences. You can go down to Save Our Nation next week and hear all kinds of great word. But I'll tell you what, the Bible is very clear in more places than that one, that unless we're doers of the word, doer, that's an action word, that's a verb, unless we're doers of the word, We're doing what the word says. We're useless to God. Come on, let's just be honest. We're just sitting here soaking it all up like a giant sponge. All God's got is a big sponge full of his word. Useless. Brother Kylie, can I bother you to grab my prop right here? Look what he says. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49, he says, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, thank you. Whosoever cometh to me, come on, who comes to him? And heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man that built his house and dig deep and laid a foundation on a rock. How many know that Jesus Christ is the rock of our foundation? And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, it could not shake it. Come on, if you know the word of God, if you've done the word, it says if you're a doer of the word, not just a hearer, not just a listener, not just coming to church once in a while, listening to it on the radio, but if you're a doer of the word, it means you've planted your house, you've built your life on a foundation of rock, and nothing is going to shake it. Nothing can shake your house if it's founded on the word of God, the word of a king. 
But he that doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. Doers of the word, wielding the word. This, um, this wonderful prop here was provided by my good friend, Jason, the strange guy, Hickey. Just kidding. I think it's cool. I'd own one too if my wife would let me. What we have before us is a two-edged sword. It's got two edges, sharp on both sides. You know, not everybody could afford or had a, had a sword that had an edge on both sides. It cost money to have a guy do that on both sides. The sword had to be larger and it had to be more and more material. All kinds of things had to happen before you could have an edge on both sides. Thank, thankfully, this is not super sharp because uh, I've been rubbing my hand up down here. <laughs> For the sake of this discussion, let's pretend this is extremely sharp. Now, you'll notice that down the center of this thing, there's a valley in here like this. You know what that's for? Because when you thrust that sword into somebody, it's self-sealed. So that little valley right there created a gap which would allow the blood to flow and the person would bleed out faster. Isn't that fascinating? It has nothing to do with Jesus. When I was a kid, I used to go down to a place called the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Anybody ever been there? Down the Kenosha area, the medieval times and all that stuff. And they had a, a sword shop there. Maybe, Jason, you've been there several times, perhaps. No, not there. <laughs> He's a collector. And uh, they had this sword shop, and you could go in, and you could pick up the swords. This is, rather, this is heavier than you said it was. You could look at it, but they had a thing in there, and the guy would say, no wielding. No wielding. Because they used, they used the old terms. You know, they, were, they had to stay in character. They wouldn't say, don't swing it. They had to say, no wielding the swords, please. But what they did is they had a little thing where you could go, and they actually did an instructional thing, and they would show you how to do all the moves. You know, the, the dodge, the turn, the parry, and the thrust. That's Daffy Duck, but don't worry about it. So anyway, uh, so you could hold the sword and you could take pictures with it with you and your buddy, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But you couldn't wield the sword because you had to be trained. You had to be educated in how to hold the sword properly and how to get used to what they call the tang, which is the balance place that makes the, this part and this part equally weighted for swinging it and you had to, they had to show you how you know, there's proper ways to swing the sword and all these things. Now when you had a sword that had one edge you only had to cut in one direction. You could either this way or the forward swing, right? And you could do it down or whatever but when you had a two-edged sword you could take that thing and you could swing her back up this way because the guy that had to swing like this if you missed, guess what? That guy gets a shot at you because you've got to come all the way back up here before you get another shot at it, right? So the guy that had the two-edged sword, he could cut up in the other direction. And the sword was equally as defensive as it was offensive. Anybody know why these are here? Protect your hands. But it would also catch the sword as they would clash together and slide down. That blade would hit right here and it would stop it from hitting your hand, but it would lock them up and there's ways that they could do that. And so we went through this process where they would show us how to wield the thing around and how to, pos pos excuse me, how to properly put it back into the sheath or the scabbard as they call it. I think scabbard is a knife, right? Is it sheath? So then you could go to this little class and they showed you how to properly wield the word. How many know there's a wrong way to wield the word? How many know there's a right way to wield the word? It takes a little bit of training. It takes a little bit of effort. So you just can't walk in 
the shop and pick up the sword and start swinging around and doing whatever you want to. There's other people standing around. There's, there was other patrons there. And they would, apparently they had this happen because they had to put signs up, right? So somebody walked in the store and went, hey, this is great, wow. The other people, they're ducking for cover and bleeding all over the place. So you had to step outside and you had to get proper instruction on how to wield that sword. Let's see if I do that right. How's that? Hebrews chapter four and 12 is a scripture we know so well. The word of God is quick and powerful. You know what quick means? It means alive. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it says piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Why soul and spirit? What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. The mind and the soul are attributed together. The heart and the spirit are attributed together. This thing, this word of God, needs to be able to penetrate your mind and the thoughts that you have. It needs to be a discerner of what's going on up in here and a discerner of what's going on up in there. So a lot of the work of wielding the sword and being a good wielder of the sword isn't to go after somebody and start cutting them up and hacking them to pieces or even using it on yourself to say, what's going on in here? It's a thought and the discerner of the intents of the heart and the mind. And so because it says piercing and dividing asunder of soul and spirit, it means it's got to get into your heart and it's got to get into your soul, into your spirit, into your mind. It's got to be captive of all of those things. And then it says of the joints and the marrow. That's physical. You believe the word of God spoken, preached, and prayed can heal you? Come on, the word can get into the joints and the marrow. We've got somebody in our congregation right now that's challenged with a health condition, a health situation. Something's got into the joints and the marrow of my good friend. But this word of God can pierce and divide asunder into those joints and into that marrow, into those cells and into that flesh and create a healing power for him. And it says that it's a thoughts, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, it is meant to shake you up. It's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm talking about the word now. It's meant to keep you focused on your words and your thoughts and your deeds. Because if you're wheeling this thing around, if this thing had a sharp blade on it and I was handling it incorrectly and moving around, look at this blade here, would have cut my fingers off. I can do damage improperly handling the sword of the word. Right, amen? Jesus said in the book of Matthew, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. What does he mean by that? He didn't come to placate everybody. He didn't come to just be candy man. He didn't come just to take, make everybody feel well. What he did is he came to bring a sword, a sword of his word that would pierce and divide asunder the soul and the spirit to get the things of the world out of them, to cut and, and circumcise and excise the things of this world that didn't belong in people. That's why he brought a sword, not to hurt people or to harm them, but to do some powerful surgery in the authority of his word. In Ephesians, Paul talks about the armor and so forth. He says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's part of our daily armor. It's part of who we are, but we got to know how to wield it. The first word created the heavens and the earth, and the final word will be that sword that destroys the works of the devil and for good and launches into eternity. The word of God will accomplish those things. His word 
Look at the book of Revelation. You could skip through with me. Revelation, the sword is featured again and again in the final days of the church. And folks, we're living in the final days of the church era. The church age is about to come to a close. We're living in those times when the spirit of the world is tormenting the churches of today. But look how many times in discussion of the end times that a sword is featured in the word. In Revelation 1 and, 60, 1 and 16, he says, and he had in his right hand, John is describing Jesus when he's first called out by him. In his right hand, he had seven stars. Those seven stars of the churches and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Immediately at the beginning of the times of the closing of the men of mankind in the era of the church age, immediately a two-edged sword is drawn to begin this work. In Revelations chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. He was talking about Jesus. If you jump down to 16, he says, Repent, or else I will come quickly unto thee, and I will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. Are you starting to get an idea of how powerful the word of God is? Can you wield it now? If I were to challenge you, I'm speaking hypothetically, but if I were to challenge you now, if I were to come to you now, could you wield the word in the right situation? Could you pull that sword out and effectively and surgically attack a problem for somebody else or reach that person that desperately needs you? Have you eaten the word yet? Have you devoured it? Have you taken it into yourself so that you know the word so good that you can pull it out of that sheath and begin to do battle with the enemy? Do you know the word that well? Can you wield the word? Like God needs you to be able to. I'm closing now and you can stand with me this morning. Revelation 19 and 11. It says, And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white cloth. And out of his mouth goeth what? A sharp sword. Even in the end, when God brings it all down, the battle is going to be fought and won with the power of his Word. That sharp sword is going to do the battle. How important is it for us to know the word of God? How important was it? So much so that the longest scripture in the Bible is all about thy word. Thy word. Thy word. Do you understand today? you got to get it inside yourself. Get a hold of that thing and say, I want to know it from end to end. I want to know it from generation, gener excuse me, from Genesis to Revelation. I want to know it from top to bottom. I want to be able to wield that word like a soldier, like a surgeon that can do the work that God calls me to do. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress, and the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vest name written, King of kings, and Lord of lords. Right up to the end, the word of a king 
has authority. The word of a king has the power. Do you feel it right now? Are you getting it inside of you? Do you want to race home right now and start reading scriptures? Do you want to get your index cards out and start writing down your favorite ones? Do you want to start writing in the margins things that you can use to help people, things that you know people are attacked with right now? Do you have some scriptures on healing? Do you have some scriptures on the challenge that your friend is going through right now? Do you have something that you can lift out and you can pull that sword and say, devil, you got no place in my family because here's the scripture that says so. Are you prepared to wield that sword, that sword with power? Because you, my friend, my brothers and my sisters have the authority of the king upon you. Do you know that? You got his name. You got his spirit inside you. You got his royal priesthood. You got his lineage. You've got the authority of the king and you can use it for his purpose. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That's about all I got for you this morning, folks. I don't know what else I can do. I know you love the word. I know you're readers of the word. But I'm telling you today, now is the hour that we become wielders of the word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Almighty God. Lord, we're so thankful, God, for this awesome word that you've given us. It's not just a book. It's just not leather covers and black ink and white paper. It's not just words from men of old. It's not deceitful. It's not destructive. It's not a divider. It's a uniter. It has the answer for everything, God. Everything we could possibly face. Every step that we need to take. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.